The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. No. Okay, thank you. The precepts are what come naturally when we're connected with the intention to uh, alleviate suffering in ourselves and in others. Um, and we break, our pre- we break the precepts because we're either caught in greed, hatred, or delusion. If we're not caught in greed, hatred, and delusion, there's, we just wouldn't do that. Um, so there's different ways of working with the precepts. Um, and Gil mentioned kind of the two sides of working with um, uh, the idea of restraining. Now, some of us are really good at stopping doing things. You know, I'm going to stop drinking coffee. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. Uh, but they have much harder time starting to exercise. Or, or, um, so we all have like different, area, different ways that we can approach this uh, depending on our strengths. And, um, and for instance, uh, if we take the first precept, um, we can, uh, the first precept is to um, not harm living beings. And um, we can, you know, if you're a criminal, you know, you might start with uh, not killing. Um, and, um, you know, as our practice and our virtue gets refined, um, then maybe we, you know, we don't want to hurt animals, we don't kill insects. Um, uh, and we make those, you know, those choices. But as we continue to refine our practice and we're, you know, looks like we're not harming anything, that's the stop side. I'm, I'm not doing this. You know, then there's another way of looking at it is how can I treat all human beings with reverence so that all human beings matter? So if you, if you walk into the supermarket, um, you might walk in there, you know, and, okay, I'm not going to kill anybody here. <laughs> uh, Uh, you know, tr- try not to step on, um, on any insects, <laughs> on the cockroaches there. <laughs> um, but, but you can practice with the precept in that kind of environment by really making, really making sure that you're not taking the human beings in there with you for granted, that you're actually seeing the, pe- the person at the, uh, the checker, the, per- the bagger, the different people uh, 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 stacking the vegetables and fruits. Um, so it can be a very broad way of working with the precept. And as we work with it, especially precepts that are particularly difficult on us, uh, with us, over time they change how we work with them. Um, I have a friend of mine who recently got ordained um, uh, in the Zen tradition. And uh, she spent... Um, months and months working with the precept of uh, not, you know, not stealing, not taking what's not given. And it was really fascinating to me where she went with that. Because, um, you know, it's pretty obvious, you know, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to steal, you know, nobody here would even consider that somebody might steal your zafu. Um, you know, it was, but, you know, so we refine our virtue on that level. Uh, but do we cheat on our taxes? Uh, do we um, lie about something so we can get a little bit of gain? Um, 
you know, for instance, you know, as, as, uh, as I'm getting older now, you know, I'm, I can get senior citizens discount, you know. Uh, the, the little things, you know, like that, you know, do we, do we fudge just to get that little bit of, of gain? And so there's all these different levels of working on it. And um, where she took it was, uh, you know, she's such a generous person to begin with, you know, and I was just really fascinated with, with what she would do. And she said, um, I asked her about the ceremony, because they have this Jukai ceremony, uh, you know, and I said, well, would you like me to come? You didn't invite me, you know. <laughs> you know she, she's like my best friend, you know. And, and she said, well, I'm practicing not taking, you know, not taking what's not given. And I said, what? <laughs> you know, I, it just didn't, you know, and, and then I realized that, you know, she had been in the habit of, um, uh, you know, throwing herself these big parties where people, you know, for 50th or 60th, you know, where tons of people would come, and there would be a sense of obligation. If you didn't come to a party, you know, people feel obligated. And so she said she didn't want to ask. You know, she didn't want to ask. If it was offered, of course we were welcome. But she didn't want to ask. And it's not that there was anything wrong with asking, but she was just looking at that tendency in herself to, oh, I've, they've got to come, they've got to come. That, that craving, uh, you know, where she was clinging. You know, it's not a matter of right and wrong, but it's a place where she was clinging in, in wanting something she didn't have and, uh, and asking for it. And uh, so it can get very subtle in how we work with the precepts, you know. And so sometimes people get into these big, contentious arguments about, uh, for instance, vegetarianism. You know, um, you know, you know, don't kill an ant, but you know, I'm going to have a steak for dinner. You know, and and so these, you know, all the the back and forths, and and it's very easy to think that well, if you're following the precept, you don't do this. If you're following the precept, you don't do that. But really, what we want to look at is the precept as as a way of having us go face to face with our clinging. What are we? How are we either being greedy? Or how are we having hatred or aversion and pushing experience away? And where are we blind to everything, right? Uh, so in the same way, um, you know, refraining from causing harm with our sexuality. Uh, you know, there's the obvious really blatant uh, sexual misconduct, you know, not telling somebody you've got an STD, uh, sexual transmitted disease. Um, telling somebody, uh, leading somebody on, you know, sex, you know, sexually that you're interested in them for more than sex, or, or a lot of the, the the common things that that people have done in this culture, um, you know, coercion, different forms of coercion, um, and a lot of us, you know, go, oh, I've, that, I've got that one down, you know, <laughs> but then there's you get a lot more subtle, and um, you know, are you in in a relationship? in a sexual relationship and with a partner, uh, are you caring about them and their needs as much as you're caring about your own? Or are you just trying to get your needs met? You know, and often relationships end up being, you know, I'll love you if you love me, you know, or, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. So it's a way of, like, really pushing that, that edge of, of being considerate of your sexual partner, of, of, uh, of their needs. Um, in, um, now, the fourth precept, which to me is probably um, has one of the more difficult ones. Uh, that's why I love retreats so much, because uh, they're silent. <laughs> um, 
But uh, there's a lot of different levels, and depending on the way we're raised, um, you know, what comes, you know, what we're conditioned to do, uh, how we're conditioned to be in this world. For instance, some people never, you know, they were just raised never to speak about somebody else. It doesn't necessarily mean that they, um, uh, that, that they're uh, freer in their hearts, but they've had that conditioning, which is actually very useful. Um, so working with uh, the tendencies to gossip, the tendencies to criticize, uh, to complain, um, those are really wonderful places to really see how, where we're caught. You know, why do we want to gossip? What's really happening when we want to gossip? You know, you've got something juicy you want to share. You know, and there's a really strong craving to get that out there. You may know that, boy, that's really not a good thing to share, but it, there's just a certain level of enjoyment we get. And so that's really, you know, it's as tempting as, you know, maybe a piece of chocolate cake, right? You know, that, that desire to, if you're in that, in that habit of doing that. And um, so, so those are kind of, again, the more um, really blatantly obvious things that we do with our speech. And then on the other realm of, of practicing with the precept is listening. Um, and that's a huge part of right speech is how we listen. Are we so interested in what we have to say next that we're sort of even tuning out the other person while they're talking? And you know, that's one of the beautiful things about the, the kind of um, uh, practices we've been doing in this room because we're all really trying to listen to each other you know, and not being constantly trying to prepare what we're going to say so we look good or, or, or so our needs get met. Um, and then the, la- the last precept, uh, refraining from intoxicants uh, that cloud the mind. At the time of, um, of the Buddha, there wasn't that much to do. You know, in terms of, in terms of, in terms of entertaining ourselves. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so there's, um, you know, so generally we say, you know, no, no drugs um, or alcohol, uh, refraining from those things. Um, but really, what clouds the mind? Uh, watching uh, violent TV shows or mindless TV hour after hour. Or, um, or even surfing the internet, um, even if there's something really valuable, but you just kind of keep going and going and going. The mind, um, you, do you know that, that there's actually been, at least I know of six recorded deaths of teenagers uh, who died because they just sat in front of the internet until they died? Yeah, seriously, seriously, yeah. Uh, six, six, they were all having to be boys, you know, and uh, they were playing games in, on their computer, and they just sat there, and uh, their parents didn't notice that they weren't eating or sleeping. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, you know, um, you know the, the, the article I read was based in Australia, but I don't, I don't know if it, it didn't mention the country, so I didn't pursue it. Um, but um, so we, sometimes we don't realize that 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 that's really heedlessness, you know. But that's a, you know that's the extreme. But how often uh, do we uh, are we heedless about our family life because we're we're so uh, addicted to to the internet or to television? Um, there's there's families. I think they did experiments where they. Um, 
they had a family. They, they followed them around 24 hours with video cameras, and they had them not watch TV for a month. You know, where people actually had to talk to each other, you know. And so we don't realize the harm that we're actually causing in our families uh, by um, engaging, you know, in, in, in mental intoxicants. Um, and on a subtler level, you know, working at it from the other end, from the cultivation end, you know, can we uh, maybe bring activities that we do together uh, or the activities we do that are, uh, you know, much more wholesome, like hiking or, um, you know, making music together with friends or, or different wholesome activities that, that, that you do instead of, um, you know, the compulsive, uh, destructive ones. Um, so, um, so I just want to just reiterate, you know, that, that when we work with these precepts, you know, you could take any one of them and spend a year focused every day on it, and it would be a powerful practice. It doesn't matter which one. Uh, so... Um, they bring us face to face with our greed, our hatred, and delusion. So, uh, so what I'd like to do now is uh, we'd like to do another. Um, uh, we're going to try a triad instead of a dyad. So that's three people groups, and uh, what we're going to talk about is the relationship with the precepts. Uh, your relationship with the precepts. And I'm going to ask you to consider uh, which precept are you most in harmony with? You know, which one do you feel like, like it's the one that really flows for you? And, um, you know, and, and you'll talk about that. And then you'll talk about which one's the least that you're in harmony with. Which one's the hardest for you? And then, um, you know, lastly, which one would you like to practice most with? And how might you practice with it? Um, so, uh, what might work best if, you know, is, uh, you know, first, like maybe, uh, state the first one, you know, um, which one you're most in harmony with, and then you can go in a circle and, and state which one you're least with, um, but then spend most of the discussion on how you might, um, you know, practice with it. Um, so, um, so go ahead and find your, oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, the lay precepts, yeah, I sort of talked about them, but I will, I'll rephrase them, okay? The first one is refraining from harming living things. And, and I add um, acting with reverence to all forms of life. Uh, the second one is taking what's, refraining from taking what's not given. And uh, with the flip side being cultivating generosity. The third one is refraining from sexual misconduct. And, um, and being considerate in intimate relationships. Um, refraining from, number four is refraining from uh, false speech and um, listening skillfully. And the fifth one is refraining from intoxicants that confuse or cloud the mind and cause heedlessness. Okay. Thank you for reminding me. So, uh, so if you'd like to find uh, a couple of people to work with, and, uh, and anybody who doesn't have somebody to work with, just stay standing um, or raise your hand.
Okay, thank you. Uh, it'd be great to hear a little bit from you, how that went for you, what some of the ref- uh, thoughts you might have, reflections you want to share. Where's the mic? So over here? Okay, she's It's been so interesting to me today listening to everyone in the groups that I've been in. And more than once, I could swear what they... They were living in my house. <laughs> we share these things so completely. I, I was hearing myself speak. So it was very interesting, and it felt good to feel that kind of bond with other people. Great. Hillary. Um, I must say I felt very vulnerable around this one and very tentative at first and um, and I felt very um, I just felt a lot of gratitude for the the other two people who were in my triad because I felt a trust there and um, I felt like I could allow myself to be vulnerable and um, I very much appreciate that Anyone want to talk about how they might work with the with the difficult with the precept they want that they found is the one they want to work with the most? <laughs> is, is that one of those vulnerable ones <laughs> over here? I uh, <clears throat> actually kind of got a two for one. Because there's a uh, direct relationship uh, between my speech patterns, and um, which is ultimately what I chose, and the amount of coffee that I've had. Um, yeah, as an intoxicant. Thank you. Um, and uh, it's interesting because oftentimes it um, allows you to fit in certain environments, like certain very fast-paced environments, workplaces, a couple certain communities. Um, you know, have two cups of coffee, three cups of coffee, everyone speaking really quickly and uh, not really listening to each other and waiting to speak over the next person. Um, so I've, I've actually been really grateful for my groups today because everyone just, I, th- I thank them. <laughs> it's like, wow, oh, wow, there was quiet space between, you know, between speaking. It was beautiful. Uh, and then just the, the bonding uh, in fast-paced groups in particular where time is an issue, um, where, like, griping becomes uh, a point of bonding. And so it's like, how do you meet the group? What's appropriate? Um, uh, how can I be in this group uh, with, with watching my own speech patterns? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, Liz? Judy inspired me with a Viktor Frankl quote that had to do with um, that freedom lies in the space between a thought and an action, which is exactly how it works sometimes to work with intoxicants and or how where it falls apart if there's no 
for me, if there's no space between the thought and the action, then the intoxicant can take me. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, up on the stage here. Um, someone in our group brought up um, transitions. And so I um, really liked to think about um, my the thing that I wanted to work with is right speech and thinking about being mindful about that all the time and even in those transition times because that's often where it falls apart. Could you say just a little more, what are the transition times? um, Maybe you're in a conversation and you think it's over, but then there's just a few more words that, you know, are exchanged that you don't stay in that mindful space. Mm. Thank you. I've got two things on my mind, and people that are in my groups probably heard me say them two or three times because I keep rolling them around. One of them, um, and Gil, sorry, these are both your fault. (laughs) You mentioned both of these (laughs) on the retreat. But one of them was, if you really want to learn a lot about yourself, then notice everything you say and and try to think about why'd you say that. I'm not quite sure how you put it, but that's how I interpreted it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's, that's a lot, and I need to really be doing that in so many ways so that the right speech thing and right thought that generates the speech and that idea is is a really big one for me and and the other one is um and this came up for right intoxicants (laughs) (laughs) wrong intoxicants right okay okay guys so, so this has to do with giving up the the, uh, the the right intoxicants, which for me is food, and I can't figure out why, but I finally figured out that scarcity has something to do with it, and I've never really been in a scarce model, but that's there. Um, but anyway, the, the, the idea that I'd like to work with, it seems to have some bearing on it. It's little what Liz said, but also uh, Gil said at one point, there, there are really only two things. There's what happens and, and how we relate to it. And I was very surprised to find that that, I, I liked it at the time, and it's come up for me a lot since then, but I, I found when I was reaching for some food that I didn't really need, that's what came up for me. You know, there's this food here, there's me reaching for it, and how am I relating to that, and what's going on here? And so that I found really helpful, and I, I, that's a, one of the ways I'd like to work with that. Okay, thank you. So, um, anyone else before um, we let Gil talk? (laughs) I really liked liked the way you reframed the first precept, um, the way from not killing and much more broad interpretation of ahimsa, non-harming. And combined with some of the things that Gil said, it, it's really got me thinking about how much of a handle do I really have? 
on the first precept at every level, horizontally across every aspect of life, vertically across the ecological chain, the whole deal. And um, don't really have a specific notion of how I want to work with it other than to notice that all the other precepts roll into it if you look at it that way. It's just, they just describe different aspects of it. So... Um, even though I said to my group that I was going to be working on right speech, I think I've changed my mind in the last <laughs> <laughs> So thank you. Great, thank you. So then a, a reminder that the topic of today was not virtue, but was the perfection of wisdom, virtue, the sila parami. And, um, and so we're really looking at the <clears throat> what it means for something to be <clears throat> a perfection or par- parami. Uh, um, and um, <clears throat> and uh, one of the uh, really central aspects of this is that it has to do with our aspiration or our motivation, the intention which we have. And the paramis are really at the heart of Buddhist spiritual life. Uh, Or they speak to something that's really deep and integral to who we are. And and, uh, it might be interesting to consider how your aspiration, your motivation, the intention that you organize your life around is really a very deep and sacred dimension of your life, a very deep and very important dimension of, of, um, <clears throat> of uh, what it means to be a human being. And so uh, we're not focusing on just being virtuous in its, for its own sake, which is good, but, um, but rather we're uh, looking at what is it that gives, um, uh, that's, gives that manifests a very deep aspiration, what supports a very deep motivation that we carry with us. And so here, the aspiration that of the paramis is the aspiration uh, to be of compassion, compassionate service to others. That's one of them. And, um, you know, to really to make a difference in the suffering of the world around us. And um, there are many ways of doing that, and I think it's dangerous to try to fit yourself into some kind of classic or idealistic model of what it means to be here in the world to support and help other people. There's an infinite number of ways and each person finds their own way. But some people have that aspiration and the paramis have to do with that aspiration. And the paramis have to do with the aspiration to become free ourselves, released ourselves from our own suffering. And there's a beautiful uh, synthesis or synergy between uh, responding to the suffering of others, trying to alleviate it, and understanding the roots of suffering in ourselves so that we can alleviate that. Um, as we do our own work, we have more to offer, more to understand about the world outside. As we understand the world outside <clears throat> and others' suffering, there's a much more motivation to really grapple with that in ourselves and to plumb down to our own depths. And so uh, these two motivations, uh, I think, are some people have one more than the other at different phases of their life, but the uh, the aspiration for liberation, for freedom, for awakening, and the aspiration to uh, to somehow help this world of ours become 
free of suffering, are beautiful things. And so today the topic is how does virtue, how does ethics, how does our behavior in the world uh, uh, come in alignment with these two aspirations. And so it's not a matter of a should, it's not a matter of thou shalt be ethical or else. And um, and uh, Buddhism doesn't put obligation on people. I don't think the Buddha ever had a sense of obligation. Unless people put themselves into his uh, monastic order, where basically they were committing themselves to some certain kind of guidance. Uh, as far as I could tell, the Buddha never uh, offered a religious life, um, his religion, his Buddhism, as any, that anyone was obligated in any way to behave a certain way or to be anything at all. Um, but if, if what you want is to live out of these deeper aspirations, um, if what you want is freedom, if what you want is a more liberated world, a world free of suffering, uh, then there are certain things, certain tools, or certain ways of being, certain behaviors which support that and make that possible. <clears throat> and so uh, uh, virtue, ethics, integrity is one of those key um, qualities that... Uh, comes out of that aspiration. It makes sense that if you aspire for these two things, that uh, it would make sense that you would be ethical or be virtuous. It doesn't make sense to want freedom, liberation for the entire, all human beings, all living beings. May all beings be free of suffering. And as long as they're not driving on the freeway next to me. <laughs> and then I'll, you know, you know, honk my horn or do worse, you know. Or, you know, it just it doesn't make sense to, uh, you know, want freedom from all, being, to, to all beings and then go ahead and treat your, your families or neighbors as if they're scum or something. Uh, it doesn't make sense to want to be free from your own uh, suffering, your own clinging and greed, hate and delusion. And as someone mentioned, you know, start cheating on your taxes left and right or trying to, you know, I don't know, lie your way to a more comfortable life. So the, what's really great is that um, this exploration of virtue can, as, as a parami <clears throat> comes from these deep aspirations but then reflects back directly. It's like a mirror that goes back to something deep inside of us. And to see the <clears throat> precepts, <clears throat> the various virtues in Buddhism, the difficulties we have with them uh, as mirrors <clears throat> that are pulling, uh, pointing back to uh, a way of living, to an aspiration, to a possibility that um, it's just uh, phenomenally, phenomenally beautiful. So to me, it's very meaningful that uh, so many people would come on, a, on any day of the week, but on a Friday, <clears throat> in order to explore these topics and explore virtue and be interested in ethics in this way. And I want to thank you so much for coming. And I hope that it was meaningful for you to do this. Um, it uh, would be wonderful if you would keep this theme of ethics, virtue, integrity as a theme that would guide your life for the next month to explore it more deeply. Uh, look for opportunities with friends and total strangers to be in conversations with them around, you know, how do you understand integrity? How do you understand, what's, what virtues are meaningful for you? Or, you know, what do you think about these precepts or something and kind of tap into other people and have conversations continue these kinds of conversations but do it out in your world for the month and see if that the, this, uh, this world of ethics can become richer for you and if you want that continue continuity 
uh, we do have this um, these guided uh, reflection, these reflections and, and practices on ethics that uh, you can take with you that are on the handouts for today. And, uh, and also a series of quotes <coughs> uh, from the Buddhist tradition on the topic of ethics. And, you know, you can sit down and read the quotes quickly on, you know, while you're having a cup of coffee. <laughs> or two. <coughs> yeah, they're two, pa- they're two, yeah, they're two pages of quotes, so I probably need at least two or three cups. <laughs> but, um, <coughs> but the, um, I think what, you know, what's interesting, really interesting with these kinds of getting quotes like this is to read it slowly or to read one a day or reread them a number of times and just see kind of what different perspectives, reflections come up as you do the repeated uh, reflection. If you read it once and say, well, I know what that's about, um, that's one thing. It's another thing to keep going back and, and assuming that maybe there's more and more dimensions to this that can be kind of open up for you as you explore it. These will be posted on the website. Also, yes. And then, they're they're already there. And then finally, um, um, the, um, I would encourage you to come to Inez's discussion group. Uh, Jim will be the next one. Oh, Jim, next one. It's, uh, Jim will lead the next one. And on the 31st, Sunday the 31st, at what time? What time? 1.30. One thirty. 1.30. 1.30 to 3.30. And it's a, certainly a way of going further into this topic. It's also a way to go further into a, uh, a community of people exploring the practice together. Costumes. Costumes are optional. Yeah, you come as your obstacle. So, um, so uh, then, in terms of uh, housekeeping, it'd be great if we could have maybe eight people stay behind to do some of the tidying up. To, uh, tomorrow we have a big event here. So are there eight people who can stay and clean the bathrooms and the kitchen? And So one, two, two three, four, five. It takes about 10, 15 minutes. Six, seven. Person volunteering too? <laughs> okay, so who, who, who's, who's managing today? Who's, we, you're the manager. Okay, great. So then, oh, you volunteered. That's not good. One more, leave one more person. Okay. And then, so then if you could, um, so Aaron knows what has to be done and you can coordinate with him the different tasks. Thank you all.